If you've looked at the bulletin, uh, you know that uh, our scripture today is from the book of Ephesians, and uh, Ephesians 5 and 6 are probably the classic passages on marriage and family. And uh, being Father's Day, we're especially going to focus on those verses in Ephesians 6, the first four verses. But I'd like to read... uh, Uh, starting at verse 15 of chapter 5 of Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 15. And I want you to notice, as we're reading this scripture, the number of times, just I underlined in my Bible, uh, all the times that as you read about marriage and family and children, all the different times that it's God is mentioned, and, and uh, Jesus is mentioned, and just filled with references to God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in this overall passage. And it tells us that God knows that marriages and families do not work very well without the Lord Jesus Christ and God at the center and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's take notice of the times, number of times, references to God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, unwise, but as wise, making the best use of of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and make melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we'll skip this uh, next few verses. Uh, It's addressed basically to wives. Go on to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Notice, as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Then chapter 6, verse 4 verses. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. In the land, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline of and instruction of the Lord. And uh, just another word to you children. Notice 
the Bible says two things to you guys as kids. Obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. Obedience is, is probably a bit more of an emphasis on the outward part, to obey. And that is evident, whether your mom or dad says, do this, and if you don't do it, you're disobeying. So if you do it, you're obeying. But then it says, notice, obey your parents and the Lord, honor your father and mother, and honor is more of an inside thing. You're not commanded to do something, but inside, you're told to honor. That's kind of, kind of more of a, heart thing so it's amazing that the bible is so so uh, specific and how it, it covers both the heart and the outside actions in this very brief statement obey honor really a great great passage you may notice that on the back of your um, bulletin your program is an outline of the message today and I usually follow my outline fairly closely, so if you want to take notes, you're certainly welcome to do that. My theme today is, Dad, thanks for finishing well. For finishing well by bringing your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And in a way, I'm first of all talking about my own dad. My father died of cancer at the age of 74, which I am at this very moment. It was far too soon in many ways, but it's encouragement that he finished well. Now, Dad was not educated past the eighth grade. He was not particularly athletic or witty. My dad was a, a farmer in South Dakota where I grew up. A common man in many ways, but he pointed all of us to God. He did that uh, regularly and in quiet ways, but God was the center of his life. He gave us a picture of a heavenly father who was forgiving and faithful. Let me quote these words from a, a poem that I read. To end before I finish, to throw in the towel while I am still living. And that's possible to do that. To end before you finish. Think about that a moment. You sort of throw in the towel before your life is over. To Finish, but not well. To grieve the loving heart of God by climbing the wrong ladder. To work hard, but lead your home in the wrong direction. What a tragedy for any father or mother to lead in the wrong direction. Faithful fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, Grandmothers, mothers, that is the tremendously great need of our time, isn't it? And today I want to especially talk about the need for faithful fathers. 
faithful fathers. What is a faithful father? What do you think about that? Think about that a moment. Probably from the context of your own life. What is a faithful father? What's he like? You probably said it yourself and asked the question, where and when does parenting begin? When do you first become a father? You little guys in this audience this morning, this congregation, you young boys, I'm sure you don't think much about being a father when you're the age you are. You are sitting up here. You don't think much about being a father. And I've read several times and probably said myself that we often become fathers before we are given much training to be one, right? We become fathers before we're given training to be one. But I'm not so sure that's true. As I studied this passage of Scripture, it occurred to me that in another way, that's not the way it works. The number one preparation for being a father is to love God. That is the number one preparation for being a dad. Loving God. And I've pointed out already about the number of times in this passage we're told to obey our parents and the Lord all the times reference to Christ to God. In the 20 or 25 years before most of us become fathers or dads, we are in the midst of preparing to be a dad. In some ways, you young boys, you are, and men, you are preparing to be a dad right now by learning to love God. That is the number one preparation or being a father, is to love God with all your heart and soul and mind. Second, a faithful father is a person who follows the book. Follows the book. Follows the Bible. Some of you remember, I don't know how many years ago, I think it was back in 71, uh, Zondervan published the Bible that just was labeled the book. And that's originally what the word Bible means, book. And so, follow the book. That's the second criterion of being a faithful dad, is to follow the book, to love the book, to obey its principles. This right here, is the book for Christian men. It should be our daily companion. I want to tell you a story about my dad. As I said, I grew up on a farm in South Dakota. And my dad had a, uh, a swivel chair, an old a wooden swivel chair. It rocked and it swiveled. And uh, a lot of times, at least during the summer, a lot of times, three times a day, we would eat a meal together. And Dad would turn in his swivel chair, and he had an old black Bible on a little desk behind him. He'd grab that Bible, and he'd read a chapter from the Bible. 
that's the way our devotions were for years. And then later on, we start using what we call the family altar. But a long time, it was just he'd read a chapter. And so a lot of times, three times a day during the summer. And so etched in my memory from, you know, from the time I was born was that practice of my dad reading the Bible to us as a family and praying with us as a family. Now, I know that culture has changed and there are very few of you, probably, maybe not any of you, who eat three meals a day with your family. That you're all three together, all of your families together for a meal three times a day. That's very unusual, I'm sure, today. But I just want to encourage you and implore you as parents and as dads who are, by God has given the responsibility in the home to make sure that at least once a day, at least once a day, you find a way to gather your family together and pray with them and read the Bible with them. I just can't tell you how important that is if you want to build a legacy of godliness in your home. We had a... I pastored in the Tacoma Church for 36 years, and uh, we had a, a gentleman come in who was a chiropractor, and uh, he hadn't grown up in a Christian home and uh, didn't know the Lord until he was an adult. But he said, you know, Rod, one of the neat things about our family is that we can... We can break the, break the chain, the chain of ungodliness and, and wickedness in many ways, of divorce. He said, we can break that chain and start a new legacy of godliness. We can do that. And that's the opportunity for all of us. And so, just uh, implore you to, uh, to uh, love God and follow the book. Follow the Bible. Thirdly, um, cherish your wife. Now, this is for us guys who are married. The word cherish is an old word, an old word. And I use the word cherish because um, it, it not only talks about love in the sense of seeking the welfare of the other person, but Cherish means to, to honor, to, to, to hold as valuable your wife, the wife of your youth, as Solomon says in the book of Proverbs. To cherish her. And I'm not going to ask how long some of you have been married, but uh, I think as I look over the crowd here this morning, some of you have been married quite a while. And, uh, you know, what a, what a gift. To cherish one woman for a lifetime, if God allows that. And so, you know, do that as young men, young women, that you, as a man, cherish your wife, and as a woman, the wife you feel cherished, you feel treasured, you feel that you're loved. And uh, I know that it's difficult, marriage can be difficult. Judy and I will be married 52 years uh, this coming August. It wasn't always easy. No. And we have a lot in common. I mean, we grew up in the 
same kind of traditional home, which a lot of people don't have. And the more you have in common, in a way, the easier. But marriage is hard work. I mean, uh, I shouldn't really tell this story, but... (laughs) I don't know, I'm debating. Anyway, I'll tell it. I remember so well, once we were driving down uh, this highway, and all of a sudden, this light goes on, and it's a patrolman behind us. And he stops us, and I said, "What, what's going on here? What?" Well, he said, "You're going way too slow. You're he, you're impeding traffic." And I said, "Oh, really?" And he said, "Yeah." And you know why? Because Judy and I got into this intense discussion—I'll call it in a kind way—on the road, on the highway there, and I didn't realize that we were going slower and slower because we were so intent on our argument. And, you know, trying to make the point that I'm right rather than you being right. And uh, we got stopped. And I don't remember if I told the patrolman why we were going so slow or not. But that's what happened a long time ago. But, um, you know, uh, guys, husbands, fathers, we are called to be the priest in the home. And it is really our responsibility to take the lead in reversing that argument where we're trying to prove that we're right and the other person's wrong and somehow changing the tenor of what's happening and saying, you know, dear, I, I care. I know my words may have hurt you and I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry for where I was wrong. However you can do that, as husbands and fathers, just to bring peace rather than a quarrelsome spirit in your home. It's hard work. I know it's not easy. And uh, um, it's so amazing how difficult it is to peacefully change an argument that's going on. In light of Ephesians 5, 25 to 28, and look at those verses again, if you would. 25 to section about husbands and the comparison to how Christ loved the church. And that's always, to me, just unbelievable that that's what uh, God does. He compares how we treat our wives to how he loved the church. And so, in light of Ephesians 5, 25 to 28, What did you do with the woman God gave you to love as your wife? How have you treated her and taken care of her? Uh, And that's something you can only answer to God. And maybe you have to go to your wife and say, Honey, sweetheart, I really have been harsh. And I think if there's anything that I've had to do in my life as a husband is to say, dear, I've been harsh with you. I think we can be harsh sometimes. And the same thing, it's interesting that Paul, as he starts uh, chapter 6, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
And obviously beneath that, do not provoke your children to anger. What provokes children to anger? I think the New International, this is the English Standard Version. The New International Version says, do not exasperate your children. And uh, there's in there that underneath that tone, isn't there, that of harshness. We can also be harsh with our children. We have to be firm with them, but always still loving and kind, uh, even though we're disciplining them or confronting them about their disobedience or whatever it is. Somehow, to not do it in such a way that we exasperate our children, or as the ESV says, not provoking your children to anger. Uh, I always find that verse in Ephesians 6.1 to be very, very um, moving. Because God is a God who... who uh, elevates the position of father, isn't he? He really does. The Bible is, is, is really strong on the honorable position of a father. But then to say in this passage, fathers, do not exasperate your children. He, he's really, God is really, how should you say that? He's really letting children know He's letting kids know that if you live in a home where your dad is harsh and, and uh, really angry a lot, and that is a, a, a characteristic of our culture, I think, that we have a lot of angry fathers. And so there's a lot of abuse and so on in our culture. And, and fathers are angry because, you know, their boss may have really gotten on their case and their, their, their job situation is, is difficult. And so they're angry and take it out on their kids in a way. And it, it is very striking that God in this passage not only warns us as fathers about harshness and anger, but he lets children know that he cares about that. He deeply cares about that. And so, um, God is a father who is uh, very, very focused on and, re and aware. Uh, God made us, of course, and he knows that we fall, fell into sin. But he's very aware of the hard things in family life. And family life is not easy. It's hard. And it takes the grace of God, doesn't it, to have a harmonious home. All right, that's faithful fathers, love God, follow the book, follow the Bible. And if you're married as a father, cherish your wife. A sacred heritage is the next thing, the second part of this message I want to talk about. And I'm going to read from Psalm 127, verse 3 a moment. That's probably one of the, for pastors at least, one of the favorite psalms to preach on if you're going to preach, preach on a, have a message about family life other than Ephesians 5. In the Old Testament, this is one of the 
great chapters. 127. Uh, notice, I'm going to read the whole psalm a moment. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Notice that little phrase, eating the bread of anxious toil, describes some of the difficult work situations in just that phrase where he gives to his beloved sleep. Now this verse, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with him. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. But especially that first part of verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. And the words of six verse, Ephesians 6 verse 1 suggests that God takes a great interest in children. So what does it mean that our children, your children, your grandchildren, are a heritage from the Lord? What does that mean? Think in your mind what that might mean that your children are a heritage from the Lord. It seems to me that the first thing it means, the first thing it means is that our children do not belong to us. Right? That is the first thing it means. That those children belong to God. They're God's children on loan to us. Our, our job as fathers and mothers, grandparents, grandfathers, grandmothers, there's a lot of more grandparents taking care of children today than you, you might imagine. And I'm sure some of you are aware of that. But our job, we're, we're, we're God's representatives, aren't, aren't we? He, he, those children belong to Him. And so we are given the task of taking care of those children and training them in God's way. That's uh, uh, what it's about. So, as you think about that, that um, to finish well, to be faithful fathers is... A faithful father is one who can, conveys to his children the discipline and teaching of the Lord. And that he's done that by... Uh, Loving God, of course, following the book, and loving his wife. Uh, I used to have a thing on my, just to finish up that, I had a thing on my desk for many, many years. The greatest thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. Some of you have probably heard, seen that. The greatest thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. And I think that's true. Other than, you know, presenting them to God. But the sacred heritage that God has given us, that the children do not belong to us. They belong to God. We're to love and pray for them, to train them in a way of righteousness. And how do you do that? How do you do that in a culture of distractions? 
Now, I grew up on a farm. We could gather, have devotions three times a day if we in the summer. We live in a different kind of culture, don't we? These two young ladies sitting in the front here, they've seen a lot of change, right? Huge change. A lot of change. It's a culture that has changed tremendously. And I call it a culture of distractions. Because there's so much, there is so much that can distract you from the the charge God has given you to train your children. And um, I don't know if I should ask you this question, ask you to raise your hands, or I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I wonder in this congregation this morning, how many of you are on Facebook? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you are on Facebook? And it'd be interesting to know how many of you are all on Facebook? Or Twitter, that's our president's favorite medium, but um, tweets. But what, what is called today social media is huge. In fact, I was just at at our, uh, I mentioned to some of you that the last three days we were in Linden for my uh, wife's uh, family's, uh, uh, oh, now I forgot the word, Um, getting rid of all their stuff, whatever you call that. Um, And uh, what is it again, Juloy? State sale. sale. Y'all lost the word of state for a moment. But anyway... Um, and this one lady was telling me, my sister-in-law was telling me how she has three sisters and how they were all getting along fairly well. They they grew up without a, it's a long story, but not an easy background for her. Uh, not a Christian family, it was very, very difficult. But anyway, um, now they're all adults, all four of these girls are adults, and they, they get along fairly well. But just this last week, one of them posted something on Facebook that has just ripped their relationships apart. It just, you know, she without, you know, didn't think it through, she put some things on Facebook that just really upset one of the other sisters. And my sister-in-law said, you know, I just knew if I try to play peacemaker, I'd be the bad guy, bad girl. So it's hard. It's hard. With social media today can cause issues that we didn't face in previous times. But so how do we do that? How do you as a mom and a dad do that? Well, um, Maybe for our children, when they're little, it may mean that you as a mom, as a dad, spend less time on Facebook or on your smartphone. It's kind of a joke, isn't it? But it's, it's really sad. You go into a restaurant sometimes and you are sitting there and you see in a booth next door what's going on. They're all on their 
smartphones, aren't they? Not, I mean, there's this old thing called what? Conversation? Conversation? Talking together? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of an old-fashioned thing nowadays, right? Now we're always... In fact, sometimes you'll see people talking to each other on their smartphone, right? One is investing in the other one. Um, I'm not a technology guy, so and I don't have a smartphone. My wife does, but uh, so I can criticize. But but anyway, uh, I mean, I think it's a challenge. How do you how do you just say to your kids, "Let's talk"? What's what's what happened at school today? And just listening, they came home from school, just listening to them. Let them talk about their day, and just putting the technology down, and just talking, having conversation with our children and and in the back of your mind you can't be preaching as we can't be preaching as parents and grandparents but we quietly by playing games uh, just talking we can form relationships with our children and grandchildren that are just crucial as they get older and need our advice and just our time of talking with them and so yeah, that's our children. But also, uh, the second part of that is our own lives, the sacred heritage of our own lives. What does that mean for you as a person that you also belong to God? Some of you know the um, answer to the first question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is what? That I am not what? Say it out loud. I am not my own. Right. That I am not my own. But I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. If there's any kind of a statement, doctrinal statement, that summarizes... One of the greatest truths in the Bible. It is that. I'm not my own. That is, that's a, that's incredibly important. I am not my own. But I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. There's also that uh, passage in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 6, I think, 6 verse 19. You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. First Corinthians 6 talks about immorality. You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So, for ourselves, it means that we are called to live in holiness, called to live in obedience to God. Um, in Ephesians 5... Verses 15 and 16, let me read those again. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are the evil. That's how the English Standard Version translates it. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Now, the New International Version I use both versions in my own personal life. 
But on this passage, I kind of like the NIV translation. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making use of every opportunity. The word there, it's a very interesting word, the Greek word. Translate opportunity in the NIV, translate time in the English Standard Version. The word in Latin and in Greek means toward the port. In the ancient world, seamen used this word to describe the time they would wait for the tide or the wind to change direction, their opportunity to get safely into port. That was the word, the opportunity, the time for before the days of of uh, power when wind was the way that ships traversed the oceans there was that moment when the wind would change it would bring them into port that's the meaning of this greek word and kairos and so uh, as we think of our lives as men and some of us young some of us older some of us uh getting older all the time. Um, We all are getting older all the time, I guess. Uh, It really is saying there's a special moment, an opportunity to seize the moment as men, to follow God, to be men that rise up and really honor God with our lives. And I I guess I would just ask, are you a man who is seizing that moment? And part of that, is to read the Word of God. I go to a men's Bible study on Thursday nights at our church. And uh, I don't know how many of you are acquainted with Patrick Morley. Any of you in the audience congregation acquainted with Patrick Morley? Patrick Morley is probably the gentleman who did more to organize men, men's movements in the United States than any man. He was. He's older now. He still speaks, but... He's a lot older than we, when we first start watching him. And, uh, but he was instrumental in a lot of the men's movements and uh, was one of the guys involved in Promise Keepers way back when. Some of you old enough to remember Promise Keepers. But uh, Patrick Morley mentioned uh, in his last talk on uh, Thursday night that um, he always has a special statement, and I can't quote, I should have written it down. But his point is that in a man's life, he is not going to grow in the Lord and become mature as a Christian man if he does not regularly read the Word of God. And, you know, I don't know you men in that level. I know some of you, Jaloy and Candy, were part of the Tacoma Church way back when, a long time ago. And... uh, know some of you, but I don't know how many of you regularly read the Word of God. And if you don't, guys, I would encourage you to start. Take your Bible, and I'd encourage you to start in the Gospels if you don't, if you haven't been a person who read the Bible regularly. Start in the Gospels. Go to the book of Acts. But read the Bible. Each day. Be a person of the book, as we talked about earlier. All right? It's been a joy being with you this morning, and I'm looking forward to next week as well to be with you. 
But um, I guess if there's, a, people in our church know that, if there's a passion in my life, it's to see men grow in the Lord, and it is to start, if you've made a commitment to Christ, that's the first step, of course, to profess Christ as your Savior and Lord. But there are thousands of men in our country, young men, who are who've made a commitment to Christ, but they're not growing. Why? Because they're not reading God's Word regularly. That's my challenge to you guys this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the passion that is evident in the book of Ephesians to, to be like Christ, to love our wives like you love the church, to honor them, to be the priest in the home in the sense of bringing peace and harmony between us and our wife between us and our children, to not provoke them to anger. Lord, help us to be godly men. And thank you that you understand our failures, Lord, that when we do become harsh and angry, that you will forgive us as we confess that sin and our wives and children will forgive us. But Lord, help us to grow, to read your word and to grow in you, to become men who do not stay in the same place in our Christian journey, but we grow in the discipline of our is. The end of verse 4 says in our scripture, Thank you, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.